Hi, my name is Elisa Davidovit. Thank you for watching The Source, God's Answers to Life's Hard Questions. I'm very privileged and excited today to have a special guest whose name also happens to be Elisa, Elisa Ben Shalom, who is not only a very successful matchmaker with 200 marriages under her belt, she is also the author of two books, a very successful dating coach, and now the host of the very popular Netflix series, Jewish Matchmaking. And so, without further ado, I'm so happy to introduce the other Eliza, Eliza Ben Shalom. Hello, how are you? Wait, let's do this. Hi, beautiful Eliza. Let's get you back on camera. Okay. <laughs> okay, you there. Hi, yeah. thank you yeah. so much for your time. Pleasure. I have to tell you, I have never interviewed another Eliza before. And <laughs> for people who don't know, the name Eliza means happiness. And I think your other Hebrew name is Bracha. Did I catch yes. that right? Yes, you okay. did. And we know in Judaism that our Hebrew names influence our destiny. How do you feel those names influence the journey that you're on? And actually, were you named after anybody? And you can put that all together and give me your answer. So, Eliza Bracha, uh, my, I, my parents picked the name. I think that Eliza was very similar to my English name, which was Lisa. And they were looking for something similar. Um, and I don't actually, I, I'm going to ask my dad if he remembers, my mom passed away, but if he remembers why they came up with Bracha, I think that they talked with the rabbi and they wanted two names. Uh, maybe also my English name was Lisa Beth. So Eliza Bracha, they were looking for very similar sounding names, but the name, you know, Eliza meaning joy and happy and Bracha meaning blessing is really at the core and the essence of who I am. And I think probably one of, um, my greatest gifts to the world is that I do offer blessings. I receive blessings. I love to amen blessings and I feel deeply connected to it. And in terms of joy and happiness, you see that uh, it's something that, you know, is very, very much a part of who I am. There's, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of joy that I have within me. And, and I think it's attributed to my name. Absolutely. And I think you have a million dollar smile. Really, thank you. Yeah, I did. I did have braces, and I did do Invisalign again, just for singles or anybody looking. I, I'm sure that just cost a thousand, but you are. <laughs> it was worth it. Talmud. So, in the Talmud, we learn in the Talmud that matching couples is harder than for Hashem to split the sea. What do you feel about that statement? I agree, one hundred percent. I do think that it is supernatural. I think that when we say harder than splitting the sea, I think that we think of something that is outside of nature, right? In nature, the sun rises, the sun sets, very normal. What's outside of nature to bring two people from two different families with two different personalities, with different desires, values, goals, and bring them closer and closer together until they really become one. It seems to be very outside of nature and very challenging. And and I think that it is harder than splitting the sea, although I've never tried to split the sea. <laughs> now, Golda Meir used to say that being the prime minister of Israel is the hardest job in the world. But I think that you're, you know, you're, you're a close runner-up. <laughs> among so, good company. Yeah, among good company. Um, so I know when I was a little girl, 
I had no microphone, but I held my Barbie doll in this position, and I started to speak into her head. So I was meant to do kind of what I'm doing. Matchmaking, where did it come from? Your grandmother, your mother, like, why are you doing this? Where did it come from? So interesting. It's not something that was passed down from generation to generation, although I will tell you the skills that I have were passed down. My grandmother could sit down next to anybody in any room from any country, and by the end of the conversation, they would love her. We had uh, a gentleman come to our house for Shabbat. She was sitting next to him. He had, you know, immigrated from uh, somewhere in Russia. And by the end of the conversation, he came up to me and he said, I want your grandmother to adopt me, please. I love her. <laughs> so she had a special way of making people feel loved and accepted and comforted. She was non-judgmental. She was curious about people. She was looking to build a relationship. And I think that my mother learned those same skills. My mother used those skills to be a teacher and to build a relationship and to educate people. And for me, I've taken those skills of being warm, accepting, loving, non-judgmental, and teaching. And I've used it to bridge the gap between people and to do matchmaking. So although specific Specifically, matchmaking itself didn't come. I think all of the skill sets that I needed to have in order to be successful came from the wisdom of the generations. Very interesting. So I was one of my questions along the road here would have been, what does it take to be a matchmaker and how did your skills fit into this? So you coach matchmakers or you teach them. What does a matchmaker need to be successful other than like, you know, connecting people? Right. Connecting people. Everybody thinks that's the one thing. Just introduce people, introduce people. Yeah. It's not the only thing we need to be an excellent matchmaker. For sure. People need to have excellent listening skills, empathy, understanding, compassion, a real, to me, being non-judgmental is an extremely important part of my process because I don't want only what I want for somebody. I come to want what they want for themselves. And I bring wisdom in the places where I think that we can bring in some new ideas. So there's always a combination of what somebody wants for themselves that I believe, that I buy into, that I understand. And at the same time, because I do that for them, for me, they make space for me to feel that they're open to what I also want for them. They make space for me to make suggestions, to tweak things a little bit so that we can hopefully find somebody that's a really good fit for them. Okay. I know the answer to this question, but maybe people watching don't know it. How did this whole thing of Netflix come to you? Did you look for it? Did they look for you? Why don't you tell the history a little bit how this whole thing happened? Okay. Matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. So a matchmaker made my match with casting. <laughs> they were searching for a Jewish matchmaker. They they saw that Indian matchmaking was a huge success and they wanted to make a spinoff brand and have Jewish matchmaking. And they started to search the world all over for matchmakers. And they interviewed I don't know, dozens or hundreds of people. And one of my matchmaker trainees who worked with me, she was interviewed and she said, you know, interesting opportunity, but this is not for me. You should talk to Aliza. Not only did I take her training, not only does she have great wisdom, but I've been doing webinars and I've been doing singles 
speed dating events online with her. She's so good on camera. She always has something to say. You could ask her anything. She'll always have an answer for you. You should call her. Let me give you her number. And she <laughs> passed my number on to them and called me and said, I gave your number. Casting from some company is calling you. They want to do a matchmaking show. I told them you're fabulous. I said, oh, oh thank you. Imagine what you felt when, when they called you. I mean, what was your reaction? Who was the first person you told? When I got the final yes, that, that they wanted to the, the first person that heard about it was a chef. So here's a crazy story. It, I wanted, I wa everybody wants a stamp of approval. I wanted, you know, my rabbis, my mentors. I wanted people to say, Lisa, it's okay. You could do this. I wanted a heter. Yeah, I wanted a, a, a not a heter, but a, a, I really wanted a heter. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I, I was at the hotel. We made Aliyah. And 11 days later, we got out of quarantine. We were in Jerusalem. We went out to eat and we went to the Kotel. Where's the first place you want to go when you make Aliyah? The Kotel. Go to the Western Wall, the Wailing Wall. Just go to pray. And I'm praying and I'm praying and I'm, I'm thanking Hashem. We made Aliyah. I'm so grateful. This is unbelievable. I'm crying. I never thought I was going to get here. Five kids, a husband. We had a dog by the end that we brought. Oh my gosh, we did it. We did it. My kids are old set at that time. Seven, 17, up to 17. We have five kids. I can't believe it. We did it. I'm crying. I'm so happy. We're home. We're home we're home. We made it. I'm done praying. I'm backing away from the wall and my phone is buzzing. And I'm like, oh, oh no. Oh no. I'm supposed to meet with the producers. They wanted to talk about something. I had, you know, gone up in the line. I knew that, you know, there was a meeting scheduled. It's 645. Meantime, 630. I'm supposed to have a meeting. I'm having a meeting with God. I'm talking to God. I'm not talking to them. I said, okay. Okay, I'm, I'm wiping my tears. I'm wiping my tears. I get on the phone with them and I, it's a video call. And I said, hi, please forgive me. I, I'm very, very sorry. I didn't mean to be rude. I'm, I'm at the West, I'm at the hotel. I mean, the Western the Wailing Wall, whatever you know, whatever you call it. I'm at the holiest place in the entire world. And I'm really sorry. I was, I was talking to God and not you. And they said, oh my gosh, we're so sorry to disturb your blessings and prayers. We will let you get right back to it, but it's probably the best place in the world to tell you that we are going to send you a contract and, and we want you, we're ready. And I'm going, oh, I miss this. Oh, and I got the Hashem approval. I, was, I wanted Hashem's approval. I wanted to know that this was okay. I, wanted, I desperately wanted this production to be a kiddish Hashem. And I thought it was possible to make it that, but you never know because you don't have full control. If I produce something, I know what's going to come of it. I know it'll be great. But if somebody else has the final say, you never know. And for me, that was the moment that I felt complete confidence and that Hashem was on the same page as me. You got your stamp of approval. Amazing. Aliza, despite the not despite the show, also you are a coach. And I have a lot of friends who go to dating coaches and they gave me that idea. I'm a divorced single. And I'm like, okay, but it's like so natural. You're a male, you're a female, you like each other, or you don't. It's like my mother didn't need a coach, nor did my father. So why do we need coaches today? What does a coach do? So and should I open my mouth a little bit? <laughs> so your mother and your father did have a coach, but it was probably their parents or okay. it might have been their mentors. Today, most of us are much 
more distant from getting the support that we need from inside of our network. So we're not getting parental support, siblings, friends, family, or people who are living close knit and tightly. We, we grow up today to be very modern and to be very independent. And independence is so strong today that we don't count on other people to support us as much. We really count on ourselves. And I think that we have lost the beauty in the tradition of matchmaking, which is so much so a part of a community support network where it's not just you're a guy, you're a girl, we bring you together, good, you like each other or not. There's so much more depth to who we are. What's the personality, the religious values, where you want to go in life, your goals, your future visions, are they aligned? What's going on for you? Are you being triggered? Is something happening? What's that internal voice saying? Sometimes, and especially in modern day, we've squashed that gut instinct, that internal voice down, and we don't know what it's saying. We just go, well, I'd feel it or not. Either it's there or it's not. So, I mean, I guess since I'm not 100% feeling and it's only okay, I'll keep looking. And to me, that's not an appropriate answer. Maybe it's there. Maybe you're not clear that this is what it sounds like, but this makes sense. And I also think that modern day, we don't have as many healthy role models. And so we don't know what a healthy relationship or marriage looks like. If you ask singles who are dating, either somebody in their family direct line is divorced or they themselves are divorced. And we don't have as many couples that have stayed together like in the past. So we don't know how to do it as easily or as well as we once did. I want to ask you something about human nature. You've met people from all over the world. You've seen the good, the bad, the ugly, the lawyers, the authentic. What have you learned about human nature throughout all of this? And you remain optimistic or pessimistic. Most people are not as uh, bad as people make people out to be. I think that most people look into the world and they're like, oh, there's nobody good here. All the good ones are taken and there's nobody left. And when I meet people, I meet really wonderful people. And I don't have that perspective. In terms of optimism, I am highly optimistic. I think that the world was created within the blueprint of creation. Soulmates come into this world and then we do a good job of, or we do the best job that we can to find each other and to match each other up. And I don't think that people see the potential in people. I don't people think that people see as much of the reality of who somebody is. I think people look at the vision of what they want and they miss who somebody is. And they're always trying to align the vision of what they want with who somebody is. And it doesn't always match up so neatly. But if we put the vision of what we want aside, we know what it is, but put it on the side for a minute. And we really look at somebody into their heart and into their soul. I meet fantastic people every single day. Really wonderful, generous, loving, loyal. I'm in so many groups of divorced singles and a lot of us are in the same boat. I already did it all. I went on the site. I went in the groups. I'm burned out. I'm in a funk. I don't want to waste mascara anymore and go out. What do you tell us and the men who are not wearing mascara? Like, give me the motivational speech that will get us back out there. Okay. Number one, go on vacation. Stop dating. Stop dating. Go, go to what I call passive dating. Passive dating is when I'm not actively looking for my partner, but if something interesting comes my way, I won't pass it up. I'm going to passively evaluate it and go through the process and go on vacation, go somewhere, do something fun, 
Try a hobby. Do something that lights up your soul that makes you happy. First, make yourself happy and get to a really grounded, healthy, happy place. Now from that place, decide if you really want to go back into dating. And if you do, gear yourself up for a process because it's work. Like anything, you you want to strengthen yourself, you go to the gym, it's work day in and day out. It's not just an easy process and it's not just a fun process. It just happens over the course of a t- of time. Sometimes it happens fast for people and sometimes it's many, many years. So gear yourself up for it and make sure that you build in healthy boundaries around dating. You're dating, great. You don't feel so good. Take a break, great. You took a break. You want to go back to it, good. Now you can go back to it, but build in a healthy way of dating so that you're not obsessed with it and then burnt out. That's just no, not the right that leads perfectly into my next question is about Bashert. Well, if it's Bashert, then FedEx will deliver the guy for me. I mean, how much do we have to try and not look desperate? Nobody wants to look desperate. I know I've tried many ways. Don't introduce me. Please introduce me. Neither of them worked. So what's the middle road? Yeah. So, I mean, I've heard of mail order brides, never experienced it from any of my clients. But but such a thing exists. I'm sure FedEx could make something happen. Uh, The truth is, I think that people need to make an appropriate amount of effort when they can handle it and when you can't back off. So I love when people have an optimistic, positive attitude and just say, I'm dating. If you happen to know anybody, I'd love to hear a suggestion. I might not say yes, but I'm open to listening to a suggestion. And this is a process that I'm taking seriously. And for me, I never know where the suggestion is going to come from. So I look around the world and I look at possibilities and I go, maybe, 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 maybe. Everybody in the world is a maybe until they're a yes or a no. So if you look at the world as a bunch of maybes, as opposed to most people, I believe, as I work with them, they initially look at the world as a bunch of no's. There's nobody out there. Nobody, nobody, no. They just look around and they just see no. When you're looking for no, you're going to find no everywhere. When you're looking for, for maybe, you find maybe. You find what you're seeking. You know, if, if you decide you want to go look for a car and you decide, oh, I want a red car, you start driving around. What's the only color car you see in the world now? Red, everywhere you go, the parking lot. I can't believe it. 47 red cars driving down the highway. Oh my gosh, we just passed 29 red cars. If you look for no's, you are going to find no everywhere in the world. If you look for me, yeah. Yeah. So on dating sites, I have to tell you, I, I don't do it anymore actively, but I found that there's a lot of people who are not authentic with the things that they say. So they'll post 55, they're 911, 150 pounds on the site. You meet them, they're overweight. I'm in the legal field, means I'm a convict. Okay, a little exaggerating, but is it okay (laughs) to fudge the facts? And should you do it? Should you accept it? And a lot of times it happens with weight and age more than anything else. But like, how do you manage that? I personally feel that if you're lying to begin with, that's not a good way to start. I never lied about my weight and this and that. And it was painful to say the truth, but I did it. But what do you do? What's the right way? Because I'm not married, so my way is not working for me. (laughs) I think that people do handle things differently. And I think that people who are truth seekers and it's part of their personality type to be very straight, very straightforward, very direct and, and very clear, 
and they would never lie about something. It's very difficult when people stretch the truth and exaggerate. I will tell you what I've come to understand. When somebody is telling you a piece of information that isn't true, it is because they don't exactly see themselves in the truth of what they are. So when somebody changes the age, it's because they feel younger than they are and they can't even believe that they are that number and it's too much for them to handle. They can't, they're not lying to you as much as they are trying to handle the truth to themselves. And I think that we are in an age and stage where it's commonplace that people say something that's not exactly Yashar and straight and true. So when we drive down the road and it says you should go 25 or 35, can you tell me how many people go that speed? I don't know if you go that speed, but I know everybody on the road that I go on goes 45 or 55. Nobody is going 25 or 35. It's almost yep. like it's a suggestion. We suggest that you go 25 to 35. Well, it's also a suggestion that you tell us your age. You know, that it's the appropriate age. It's almost a suggestion that you show us the most recent photo. Recent, can you define the word recent? Does that mean within three years or two years or three months? So I've come to understand that people have different definitions. So I'm a little bit more forgiving when it happens, not because it's right, but because it's extremely common. And it's not how I would advise people to go about the process, but because it is so common, if you limit yourself to people who are not doing that, you will cut out more than 50% of the population. It's happening extremely frequently across the board. That's very interesting. Christina, I just want to, you know, figure out which questions I'll skip. So how are we doing for time? We have about 10 minutes. We do. Okay. I'm going to work fast. When I interviewed Jackie Mason, we were very good friends. He used to call me the queen of questions, and that became my title because I never run out of questions. You are advocating Shamir Nagia, not fooling around, basically, for people who don't know Judaism, whatever. But how in today's society, where people are just like, you know, swiping to hook up that night, how do you sell that point of not kissing, touching doing things, you know, until the right time. What's your pitch? My pitch is we modify it. I don't expect the modern world to try Shomer Nagia and wait until the chuppah and wait until they get married. My suggestion is five dates. And my pitch and my enticement is I guarantee 100% you will have clarity by the fifth date. You will either like them and be in and there will be a point of connection that's there between you or you're not going to be interested and you're not going to continue. So if you want clarity, we can get that and we can get that fast. And then whatever happens, Aliza goes back to her life. You go back to your life. Everybody handles it. Mine is like, try it my way, but just for five dates. Let's see if you can do that. And I guarantee clarity. Okay. Lisa, I hate to bring this up, but you know, you said that there are 15 million Jews, 15 million ways to do Judaism. But that also means there's 15 million opinions. Some of those opinions were like, she's a religious lady and people are not dressing modestly in the show and somebody wants to eat pork. So how do you answer that? And really what's, because you have a great platform and you're a religious woman, so I know you have a bigger vision for what you're doing. So why don't you tell us what that vision is? Okay, so we say 15 million Jews and 15 million ways to be Jewish, but in terms of opinions, there's unlimited amounts of opinions. There's not just 15 million opinions. <laughs> 
<laughs> so many opinions. I grew up secular. I became observant. I know both worlds very well. I connect to both worlds in a deeply meaningful way. And I am non-judgmental and, and accepting of people, which means I work with secular people and I work with religious people. And I understand that there's a difference between both of them. And I don't judge somebody who doesn't look like I look like. It doesn't matter to me. I want them to look like who they are. My goal is for them to be their best selves. And my goal is to find them love. And I think that everybody who is looking for love has the potential to find it. And I think that not everybody in the world is going to end up religious. So I think that people should be who they are, be the best version of who they are. And I would really hope that I inspired people perhaps to be slightly a little bit less judgmental and stop talking about what my clients are wearing on a show. As much as people are talking about certain things and saying what is or isn't appropriate, it is not appropriate to speak about other Jewish people that way. You want to speak about them like a kiddush Hashem, like a light unto the nations? Please do. You want to say, wow, this person has passion and personality and poise? Please do. You want to say, wow, they have interesting preferences, but boy, they're a little bit funny. They've got a great sense of humor. Please do. But please don't talk about the way that my clients dress and what they do. They are living their best life to the best ability that they have. And that to me is the most important thing. I don't expect them to be like me and I don't expect anybody else in the world to expect them to be like them. You want them to be who they are and the best version of themselves. And by them agreeing to even speak with somebody who considers herself observant with Torah Jewish values and to consider taking my wisdom on and to consider doing that in a public forum. Wow. Unbelievable that you would be willing to do that with me and know that millions of people are going to watch that. And if you look at everybody that I worked with, we have an extremely close relationship and they valued my wisdom. I want somebody to write an article that says, I can't believe it. People listened to what Elisa said. They valued what she said. And they're from two different worlds. Unbelievable. How did she build that relationship with them? Because to me, that is what's extremely impressive. And anybody else who's talking about things that are inappropriate, I would say we should review the laws of Lashon Hara. We should guard our speech and we should be very careful. If I could do it on a show that gets you know, cut and pasted and pulled together and I could be a Kiddush Hashem and I could speak respectfully about the people that I work with, I expect everybody else in the world to step up and to be able to do the same it's a beautiful answer really thoughtful beautiful answer and i can tell you what i feel is that i'm tired of rabbis getting up and giving a pulpit speech about how there's 72 percent interfaith marriage and that we're losing more people to interfaith marriages than to hitler and all they do is polish their speeches so i'm actually very grateful to you for not judging for bringing the wax and the wick together and if somebody will illuminate that flame, that they'll have Jewish children, they'll have Torah, and they'll keep the commandments, yes. then you are ready to put on the platform. I, and I bless you really from all my heart, from one Eliza to another, that you should have great Hatzlachad, and you should not only have 200 weddings, but you should have a million weddings. Really, Amen. I, amen. And I, I thank you for your time. Is there anything, I have a million questions, but I'll cut it short here. Is there anything you wanted to add or say, whatever, I'm glad to hear anything. No, I thought that was beautiful. How is your family handling the success? That I need to know. 
I think everybody's actually really excited. And I've seen so many articles say how beautiful it was to see Jews and Judaism portrayed in a beautiful light and Torah and wisdom. And there's been an outpouring of love that has come to me. I, I actually had an expectation because I was told there's going to be anti-Semitism. You will probably receive death threats. Just guard yourself and understand what's going to happen. And I have received such an outpouring of love that, and, and, and my family has as well that we are feeling over the moon. We are feeling overjoyed. Like we represented Jews, Judaism, God, Torah, wisdom, Jewish wisdom in the world to the greatest degree possible. And we're all excited. Everybody's been getting really happy phone calls. Oh my gosh, I can't believe it. I saw the show. This is great. Wow. Oh, I can't. Wow. This is just, it's people are speechless. They're just, they're just so excited for us. And, and we're so excited as well. No, I saw on your Facebook wall that um, you did a Yurtzai candle for your mom who died seven years ago. And I'm so sorry for you that she can be a partner in all this success. I'm sure, I'm sure it leaves a little bit of emptiness in you, but. Um, I, I know that she is in Shemayim. I know she would have been quelling. She would have been laughing. She would have been crying. She would have been like, that's my daughter. She used to walk into my community because I'm known in the Jewish world. I've been known for years. And she would walk into my community and she'd go, I'm Elisa's mom. And I said, mom, not everybody knows me. You can't just say I'm Elisa's mom. Like, which Elisa? Who Elisa? She's like, no, everybody knows you. I'm like, no, they don't. <laughs> she, she always had a tremendous amount of nachas and joy and it was just so funny to me but today she could walk around going i'm Elisa's mom and everybody be like oh, oh my gosh she would have been she would have been over the moon she was doing it back then but now it would actually be true so i know that she's dancing in shemayim in heaven and she is just i know also i believe that her her neshama is being elevated from all of this work because she's my light and my inspiration she gave me and made me who i was as a human being and and instilled in me tremendous values and nurtured me she and my father nurtured me and loved me to be who i am and it's only because of her and because of our generations of who we are that i could even do this well just who you are is a great kibbutz of um, thank you for your time i thank greatly you. appreciate it and you should go from success to success amen thank you eliza and eliza that was beautiful <laughs> thank you thank you. have a good one bye 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 bye